What's good, everybody? It's your girl, Taylor, with the Chronicles of She. Let's do this! No, Rona can't stop your girl. Well, she can't stop me for shit because, bitch, you ain't get to me. What's good, everybody? Welcome to the Chronicles of She. I'm so happy to be here with you guys. And happy early Thanksgiving to you, 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 especially to you, to you, to you, to you, and to you out there at the CBG Mobile Studio Chandler Business Group. I love you guys. Twenty twenty has been a freak show, but you know what? The best thing about it is I've been on here with y'all and talking all kinds of crap and spreading positivity. And we're going to keep it going. Keep these Hennessy bottles sipping on. And I'm spilling the tea with y'all each and every day. And baby, yeah, we're going to be good. Now tonight we got we got tea and we got Hennessy. And yeah, man, we there's a lot of people dying and there's... And we got boozy badass in the hospital. Jeremiah is in the hospital with COVID. And we lost an, we lost a young rapper to a shooting. Yes, King Vaughn was killed in Atlanta. Oh, man. Now, I had just heard about King Vaughn. I never heard his music until now. Man, I hate when a rapper dies when I'm just finding out about him, okay? Like, shoot, I need to be on my grind more. We're finding more, more music to listen to and more artists to be inspired by. Because I hate being out the loop. I really freaking do. He's a Chicago rapper named King Von. His real name was, let me see right here. His real name was Davon Bennett. And he was an aspiring rapper. Enough. this happened after his album release party on 64th Street and Dr. Moon. Dr. Martin Luther King Drive on the south side where he was raised. <sighs> oh, boy. Well, we're going to get into the details right now. So get your teacups ready. I'm going to slur mine. <clears throat> All right, let's go. This is from CST. Chicago rapper King Von was killed in a shooting outside a club in Atlanta on November 6th. The shooting happened after the 26-year-old album, 6-year-old's album's release party for Welcome to O-Block, a nod to the area around 64th Street and Dr. Martin Luther King Drive on the south side where he was raised. In the early morning hours that Friday, an argument between two groups of men escalated to gunfire outside Monica Hooker Lounge. King Vaughn, whose real name is Devon Benton, was taken to an area hospital where he died. A Savannah man, 22-year-old Timothy Leakes, was charged with King Vaughn's murder. King Vaughn had a loyal and robust social media following of 2.5 million Instagram followers and 292,500,000 Twitter followers while on the verge of breakout success. He was a devoted father, a deeply loyal friend, and a man who took care of his people for himself. His publicist, Aaron Ryan, said in a written statement, We are heartbroken for his family, his friends, his team, and his fans. Long live King Vaughn. Good gosh. <sighs> now, y'all, I told you this was going to be deep. Now, and now, okay, we're, we're still on CST sometimes. Okay, rapper King Von's killing puts a spotlight on Chicago gang ties to Atlanta. 
The 26-year-old man had been affiliated with O-Block, a faction of Chicago's Black Disciples Street Gang, police say. Chicago gangs have been active in Atlanta for years. Wow. Rapper King Von's killing has put a spotlight on what authorities say is the continued involvement of Chicago street gangs in violence in Atlanta. King Von, 26, and Mark Blakely, 34, both from Chicago, were fatally shot and four men were wounded after a brawl November 6th in a parking lot outside an Atlanta lounge. They belong to a faction of disciples called O-Block, police say. The week before he was killed, King Von released his debut album, Welcome to O-Block, referring to the Black Disciples' stronghold in the Parkway Garden Apartments on Chicago's South Side. Blakely, a felon with gun and theft convictions in Cook County, had the words O-Block tattooed on his neck. Last year, King Von and Chicago rapper Lil Durk were charged with shooting a man outside Atlanta's popular varsity hot dog stand and stealing 30,000 jewels of jewelry and a vehicle. Before he turned himself into the police, Little Dirt, 28, told TV reporter in Atlanta he was innocent and no longer involved with the gang. At a bail hearing, an Atlanta police officer testified that a surveillance camera caught Little Dirt firing a gun toward the victim, and Chicago police detective traveled to Atlanta and testified that both rappers were active members of the Black Disciples. King Vaughn and Little Dirk were freed in lieu of bail and placed on electronic monitoring. The attempted murder case against Little Dirk is still pending. The Black Disciples are suspected of trafficking guns and marijuana in Atlanta, according to law enforcement sources. Members of the gang have done business in Atlanta for years, according to court records. Marvel Thompson, the reputed kingpin of the gang in Chicago, laundered millions of dollars of drugs, of drug proceeds through a car wash and a nightclub he owned in Atlanta, according to federal prosecutors. Thompson, who lived in Inglewood, is in prison for being convicted in a drug conspiracy case. The Chicago-based gangster disciple rivals of the Black Disciples are also in, are active in Atlanta, authorities say. In 2016, dozens of gangster disciples were charged in Atlanta in federal indictment, accusing them of 10 murders along with drug trafficking, robbery, carjacking, and bank fraud. We hope that this indictment warns the leaders of these gangs that Atlanta is not a good place to do business, U.S. Attorney John Horn said at the time. King Von grew up, grew up a Sorry, grew up east of Inglewood and the Dan Ryan Expressive in Parkway Gardens. In 2014, Sometimes Story reported that 604 blocks of South Drive, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Drive, where the Parkway Gardens is located, is called Old Block after the 2011 killing of Black Disciples member Ode Dis Odie Perry. They the area had the most shootings in Chicago between 2011 and 2014. King Von, whose real name was Devon Bennett, had said he and Little Dirk went to Atlanta to get away from gangs and pursue their music careers. In Chicago, King Von frequently got into trouble with the police. In 2018, he was arrested in Parkway Gardens after the police raided an apartment and said they found a suitcase containing three handguns and a quarter pound of marijuana. But Cook County prosecutors declined to bring charges. One of the guns later was linked to a murder, a police source said. In 2017, King Von was found not guilty of murder after he and Michael Wade were accused of opening fire on a, on a home in Inglewood during a birthday party in 2014 and fatally shooting a man in the head. But Wade was sentenced to 28 years in prison for aggravated battery. 
King Von had two felony convictions in Cook County. In 2013, he was sentenced to three years in prison for possession of a gun, this, possessions of a gun by a felon. In 2012, he was sentenced to boot camp over a theft charge after an armed robbery charge was dropped, court records show. In, 2009, in a 2019 interview on the No Jumper podcast, he said he found it easier to do time in jail in Atlanta than in Cook County, where rivals would pick fights with him. Behind bars in Atlanta, he said inmates would approach him because they were fans of his music. Wow. All right, y'all, we're going to take ourselves a small break and we're going to come back with more news. You know how we fucking around. Check. Yeah. Tell them pipe down. We not the same. We not the same. We not the same. We not the same. Tell them pipe down. We not the same. Everything different over here, boy. Niggas ain't tripping over here, boy. Tell them pipe down. We not the same. Tell them pipe down. We not the same. Be on a different kind of grind, kind of grind. Different watch on a different type of time. Type of time. They be talking like I'm really hard to find. Right. It's a problem, you can always hit my line. Cloud chaser trying to ride another dick. Only pop out when they see another nigga talking shit. Say you real, but you loud with every sentence out your lips. Homie, stay up out the smoke so we ain't gotta take a hit. Wow. You think bands in your fanny make you rich, but your value in the street ain't worth the money that you spent. I learned from the OGs, follow every code. If you ain't about the street, go get you a million souls. Keep it G, don't never be another me. I'm the same nigga solo, I'm the same with a fleet. Same nigga when I'm quiet, I'm the same when I speak. And no comparison to you and me. We not the same. We not the same. We not the same. We not the same. I'm on fire like a Molotov Everything you say made up right. I keep it hetero, hands to the sky Straight up Niggas try to take shots and they hit with bricks Funny thing, those are only bricks they ever flip You try to fuck your homegirls and they ain't with the shits But if me and sis fuck, then she ain't sis I be on that no fraud flex Somebody in your cypher should've told you about yourself, huh? But I get it, you be capping for the gram Then turn to a bird and hide your face in the sand, huh? Been about my word, you can ask around Matter of fact, don't even speak my fucking name, clown I'm still one of one, so homie, behave Go ahead, take it to your grave We not the same We not the same We not the same We not the same Tell them pipe down, we not the same Everything different over here, boy Niggas ain't tripping over here, boy Tell them pipe down, we not the same
Welcome back to the Chronicles of She. Hope I didn't keep you guys waiting too long. I got the tea brewing and I'm pouring a new glass of Hennessy right now. We left off on talking about the late King Vaughn and his history with Oblock. Now, I look, went on to Chicago Sun-Times to look at old articles about Oblock and found something pretty interesting. Michelle Obama once lived there. Now, this is an article by Frank Main. It's called Oblock, the most dangerous block in Chicago, once home to Michelle Obama. So this will probably give us the history, the crimes that were committed by the gang, and what it's like right now, and with recent times to King Von. Here we go. On maps, it's the 604 block of South Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Drive. It's old block to people there and in frequent references by Chief Keefe and other Chicago rappers. The most dangerous block in Chicago isn't in Inglewood or on the west side. It's a stretch of South King Drive where a young Michelle Obama once lit. They call it O Block. On maps, it's the 604 block of South Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Drive, but it's just O Block to some people there. And in frequent references to the street in blood-drenched lyrics of Chief Keefe and other Chicago rappers, the sprawling Parkway Gardens low-income apartment complex sits on sits on one side of the street. A string of businesses, including an auto zone, a food mart, and the Chicago Crusader newspaper lines the other. Young men in hoodies and low-riding jeans gather in the courtyards here, staring down strangers. Mothers hurry past, holding tight to little hands as they shuttle between the neighborhood school and the safety of their apartments. Security cameras posted nearly everywhere see it all. Gang members gave Oblock the name. The O was for the 20-year-old Odie Perry, a gang member gunned down just around the corner on summer's night in 2011. His killer? A 17-year-old female gang assassin named Garika Barnes, police sources say. Barnes later was shot to death not far from here. Perry was one of 19 people shot on O Block between June 2011 and June 2014. That makes it the most dangerous block in Chicago in terms of shooting in that three-year period, a Chicago Sometimes analysis has found. Two victims, two of the victims were killed. None of the shootings has resulted in criminal charges, and none of the weapons have been recovered. The number of people shot would have been even higher, the police say, if not for one shooter's bad aim. Jail Priestley, 22, is accused of shooting at a group of people standing outdoors on O-Block on June 3rd, then firing at two police officers who saw him do it. Somehow, no one was hit. Priestley, already on parole for illegal possession of a gun, is now charged with attempted murder. Despite the violence, things are actually better now around O-Block than they've been. The police and politicians say they point to figures that show most of the shootings on old block the past three years happened in the first two years of that span and that no one has been shot to death in two years shootings are also down in general area old block sits in the midst of chicago police department's b312 which stretches east from the dan ryan expressway past cottage grove roughly between 63rd and 65th street since 2012, the number of shootings in Beat 312 is down by 59% through September, the police say. 
In an effort to curb the violence, more officers have been assigned to patrol the area on foot and in cars focusing on impact zone drawn up in February 2013 of five square blocks with old block near the middle. Ten veteran officers patrolled the zone, along with additional officers fresh out of the police academy. There is progress being made in the beat and the whole district, says Robert Tracy. Chief of Crime Control Strategy for Police, Superintendent Gary McCarthy. Alan Willie Krochner, 20th, a former police sergeant whose ward includes Oblox, says the police have sent a message to gangs that the shooting must stop. The gang members have listened, says Cochran, whose 26 years as a cop included time patrolling Oblox and surrounding areas. They have cooperated, but the shootings, while down, haven't stopped. Looking at a map between 2011 and 2014, 19 people were shot, two of them fatally along a stretch of 604 King Drive, making it the city's most dangerous block for that time period. In terms of shootings, look at each of the 19 shootings. Chicago, CPDV 312, 64th Street, oh my gosh, 18, hmm. 18 shoot. God. Woo! Okay. Non fatal shootings. The non fatal shootings are in orange. But the highest numbers are on King Drive, which is 12. 12. 12. 64 to 1 Senior King Drive. Date January. This way, no, February 16, 2012. Victim ages around 19. A little past nine, a little past nine in the morning on October 23rd, young kids from the neighborhood were safer in their classrooms at Duels Elementary School, a block north. But on Old Block, yellow police tape marked the scene of another shooting. It had been going on all night long, according to people at the Parkway Gardens apartments, where popular Robert Chief Keefe used to hang out. Then, at 9.20 a.m., a 22-year-old man was shot in the face inside the Parkway supermarket at 6435 South King Drive, across from Parkway Gardens. He was taken to the hospital in critical condition. Jason Rufus is a butcher at the Parkway supermarket. Things will have to improve a lot more before he feels safe. On April 14th, Rufus' 23-year-old nephew was shot on Old Block. A man in a hooded sweatshirt followed him out of the supermarket, pulled a gun, and shot him in the head outside Parkway Gardens. The nephew survived but was left paralyzed. He got out of the hospital in September and now needs a wheelchair to get around. Rufus says he thinks a gang member from Woodlawn, east of King Drive, shot his nephew, mistaking him for a rival. It could be better, much better around here, says Rufus. I see more kids during school hours than after school. They're just hanging out. Things still need to change. When Michelle Obama was a baby, her family lived on Old Block in Parkway Gardens, the complex of 35 buildings that stretches from 63rd to 66th along King Drive. She wasn't even two when her parents moved the family from Parkway Gardens to a home in Euclid Avenue, closer to the lake in 1965. Her childhood memories of the apartment complex where she once lived are of a wonderful small apartment building. The first lady told Time Magazine in 2009, but now when I pass it, it's... I was like, God, I never saw that apartment in that way that I'm seeing it now. 
Over the years, Parkway Gardens became a haven for gangs. These days, the police say the Black Disciples control both sides of King Drive and Parkway Gardens, and the rival gangster disciples claim the neighborhood of single-family homes to the east. The gang fueled their antagonism online in 104-character burst on Twitter and in rap songs uploaded to YouTube. Often, it carries over into real life. That's what gives the area its other name, Wick City, for wild, insane, crazy. You can catch a shooting in the rain, the snow, or the sun, says one cop who works the block. GDs won't go into McDonald's or drive through because that's BD. It's all about territory. The dismantling of a nearby Chicago Housing Authority high-rise complex also figures into the calculus of crimes on the block. Randolph Towers, 144 apartments spread across 16 buildings in the 6200 block of South Clement had been the hub of operations for the Black Disciples until it was raised in t- it was raised in 2007 as part of the, CA- the CHA's plan for transformation, the police say. Many of those gang members moved about three blocks away to the low-rise Parkway Gardens apartments, which are privately managed and catered to low-income tenants. Ever since, there's been friction between BDs and GDs outside the complex. Around Old Block, people fear the gangs. It's rough, one woman says. A lot of shootings happen. A woman who lives in Parkway Gardens for a quarter century says, It was nicer back then. Flowers planted in the beds, the grass kept up, less violence in and around the complex. You have to watch yourself more these days. Another, the mother of a young daughter, says that when she wants the girl to be able to play outdoors, she takes her to the park on the southwest side because of the frequent gunfire outside her apartment in Parkway Gardens. Yet another young man, Stacy Griffin, echoes that, I have to watch my back, always watching over your shoulder, the police do be around. But, I mean, crime still goes on. I rush my son into the house because you never know what's going to happen. I don't allow my son to play in the black in the playground either. I would take him to a far out, better neighborhood to let him play. A young man offers a warning to anyone unfamiliar with the area. It's dangerous out here. If you ain't from here, don't come here. Please don't. It's real. It's hectic. In 52 Bars Part 4, Chicago rapper Little Dirk laminated the violence and gave a nod to Sherrod Liggins, a rep a reputed gang member shot and killed in February 2012 when he walked out of a store on Oblock, asking why they took Sherrod and gave an inch they took a yard. In the winter of 2011, the Reverend Corey Brooks became famous as the pastor on the roof when he camped out for months on top of a boarded up motel nearby in the 6600 block of South King Drive to draw national attention to the rampant gunfire in the neighborhood. Brooks says things aren't as bad today, but gang factions continue to battle there. He says with homemade rap videos posted online often fueling the violence, gang members from the Parkway Gardens, say, side of King Drive, still risk getting shot if they cross Vernon Avenue two blocks to the east or ven- venture north past 63rd, says Brooks, who raised more than $450,000 with his rooftop campaign, bought and demolished the motel and plans to build a community center in its place. 
you have kids on both sides who are fenced in because of their conflicts with each other, he says of Old Block. He points to Parkway Gardens and says the difference between the mid-1960s when the First Lady's family lived there and today is drastic. The environment was family-focused, he says. People were working when you eliminate all those things from a community. Men not in the household and education failing, it will be a drastic difference than what the First Lady of the United States and her family experienced. Tracy, the police crime control strategy chief, says Oblock remains one of his major challenges. We have to stay ahead of it, he says, of the violence there. The police have tried to do that by pouring officers into the impact zone around parking around parkway gardens they're also putting to use strategies suggested by a yale sociologist who studied crime in chicago that aim to identify potential troublemakers and stop them from shooting they've done a gang audit to identify gang members in the area now after shooting police officials say they can they can use this list to go to gang members and make it clear they're watching them and won't tolerate retaliation also they say they are monitoring social media for threats between gang members and they are now targeting gang members deemed likely on the basis of the circles they travel in to commit violent acts or to become a victim of violence by warning them they're at risk and eating them know they're being watched these tactics, these tactics, based on the research of Yale sociologist Andrew Papakristos, Papa, have been effective elsewhere around the city, the police say. In the 20 months before the police drew up the five-square block impact zone that includes Old Block and started putting extra officers on patrol, there were 32 shootings. In the first 20 months after there were 10 shootings assigned, the police say, of progress. Officers in marked and unmarked cars regularly can be seen driving along Old Block and through the Parkway Gardens complex. On several afternoons in recent weeks, an officer was parked the entire time in a marked squad car in the complex on side of street, on side streets of side streets off King Drive, and private security guards could be seen walking through the courtyards they put in new security and removed people who weren't supposed to be living there says cochran who says he pushed for change at parkway gardens that saw related companies take over the complex's management in late 2012 before that cochran says you had a lot of people who were not on the lease in places where guns drugs and gang members were being harbored related has Related has put in a 350,000 artificial turf field at Duels Elementary School adjacent to Parkway Gardens, hoping to give kids and teens a place to play. The presence and quick response of authors, officers has deterred crime recently. The Aldering Man says, We have not solved it 100%, but there has been a lot of actions that have been taken. On a recent afternoon, dozens of young men lingered in the courtyards at Parkway Gardens. Maybe you shouldn't be here anymore, one warned. Yvonne Gaydon has felt the violence and says it still hangs over Old Block and Parkway Gardens. Her son, Edward Riley, 20, was shot to death as he walked with his girlfriend on Old Block on October 19, 2011. The two gunmen also shot and wounded a 15-year-old boy. Riley had attended Duels Elementary when the family lived in the neighborhood near 63rd in Heba Heart. 
Later, they moved north to the 53rd and Wallace. But Parkway Gardens was his world, his mother says. Gaydon says her son was a kind-hearted young man. Despite having a rap sheet with arrests for drug possession and gambling and having been convicted for possessing a gun with a a serial number, he was no angel, she says. But I will not blame my son for hanging out at Parkway with his friends. He grew up with those guys. Still, she says she warned him about going there. That place is a death trap, she says. (sighs) So, Parkway Gardens, a.k.a. O-Block, is just notorious for destroying lives. Crazy. For King Vaughn to lose his life so young just for wanting to make something better out of himself than what he was dealing with. It's just bullshit. What was the motive? What was the motive for killing this man? Was it because he left and y'all felt like for the man, Timothy Leakes, what was it about were you trying to make a point about something about if you leave old block you talk crap on old block you dead or was it because you were mad that he got that he got out of the game and you didn't this gang violence shit especially with what happened to pop smoke when pop was really not a part of he was not gang affiliated it's just it's some it's some bullshit yeah i felt bad for those people down in park just in park my gardens that need to be living like that the only things that i could come up with for the shooting is that this was out of jealousy and you can never really leave a gang, even though you say you out the game, you still in that game for life. This man was trying to make something out of himself. He was he was on his way to being a rap superstar. And it was just taken away by this fucking bastard. Now, hopefully soon we're gonna have some more news on this Timothy Leakes character. I wanna see what the motive was. Till then we have our suspicions. Well I got mine. Well, we continuing with the news on K. Vaughn. Well, King Vaughn, excuse me. I'm sorry, guys. It's been a long fucking week. I'm happy to be here, but it's long. I'm sleepy. Oh, there's also some controversy going around in the community of hip hop with 50 Cent. Turns out he had to check T.I. for talking something about King Vaughn. Now, we about to find out about this right now. Okay, this is from Complex. 50 Cent and T.I. have proven that it's possible to be competitors and friends. As a result, 50 felt it was within his right to check Tip about his King Von comments. He just made a mistake, 50 said, about 12 minutes into his recent appearance on The Breakfast Club. He's in a different place. There's nothing wrong with the statement he made about Atlanta being positive and productive and supportive of other people doing things. But they just lost a loved one. They don't care about... They don't care nothing about nothing that you talking about. J. 
just like when you say don't bring your beef to Atlanta, you don't usually schedule where it's going to happen. Following the tragic death of King Vaughn outside of an Atlanta nightclub, T.I. took to Instagram where he urged outside rappers to handle their beefs outside of the city. Many people took offense to this, including King Vaughn's sister who asked 50 Cent to step in on the family's behalf. 50 obliged and sent out an Instagram post directed towards Tip. And these are facts, but the energy he always put in, in people business need to be the same energy he need to make it right with his daughter. Now, Wea is my brother at 50 Cent. Get in on his ass. Mm. At a trouble man, 31, you gotta chill. You bugging for saying anything. They got casualties. This is real shit. I don't know what you was thinking, but rethink it now. 50 wrote in a post that featured King Von's sister's message to him. They are hurting. They love that boy. He was a way out. I bet you don't even realize they will kill you for what you just said. What hood you from again? Come on now. It's quiet time. After a wave of backlash, T.I. backed away from his statement claiming that it wasn't about King Von, but 50 isn't buying it. Don't say that. That's not what that's about. This just happened, 50 continued to the Breakfast Club host. Of course you didn't put the name in it. You want to backpedal out of it because you realize that's not the right thing to say and I'm not the fun police. The timing is bad to say that. Hmm. What exactly did, what exactly did freaking, what the fuck? All right. You know, T.I. be saying a lot of shit. Now, I need to know what the fuck, what the fuck did he say? Yeah, let's, we're gonna, we're gonna have to do some digging, folks. I need to know what the fuck he said. So, we're gonna take ourselves another break while I get the tea brewing more up in here, because we just sipped, up, we just sipped all of it. Okay, seriously, y'all, y'all need to, y'all need to, you really, y'all need to be, y'all need to be a little bit more, more courteous to the fans up in here, because look, because there's only so much tea going around. Okay, don't worry, I'm gonna get you. Hold on, we're gonna be back. Welcome back to the Chronicles of She, y'all. Thank you for your patience. We're having a few technical difficulties, but I thank you for being patient with me. We left off on talking about my boo, Jeremiah. Oh, baby. But there is, there's, there's some hope. He's doing better. He's doing better. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. I'm excited to hear about this. We need some good news up in this mug. All right. This is from Chicago Tribune. Chicago singer Jeremiah's condition is improving amid COVID-19 battle, 50 Cent says. Singer Jeremiah is responsive and doing a little better after being hospitalized with COVID-19, according to rapper and frequent collaborator 50 Cent. In a Sunday Instagram and Twitter update, 50 Cent thanked his followers for praying for my boy, Jeremiah, who was previously admitted to an intensive care unit in Chicago during his ongoing battle with the illness. The Grammy winner was among multiple music luminaries who wrote well wishes to the Don't Tell Him hitmaker on social media after his condition worsened over the weekend. Pray for my boy, Jeremiah. He's not doing good. This COVID shit is real. 50 tweeted. 
Saturday morning, along with a pic photo of him and his friend. Rats for Jeremiah did not immediately respond to the Times' request for comments. Among the many others rallying for Jeremiah online are Big Sean, Tony Braxton, Metro Boomin, Fat Joe, and Chance the Rapper, who also asked his millions of Twitter followers to take a second pray, second to pray for the Love Life artist. He is like a brother to me, and he's ill right now. Chance the Rapper tweeted Saturday. I believe in the healing power of Jesus, so if you can for me, please, please say a prayer over him. 50 Cent has collaborated with Jeremiah on multiple tracks, including 2010's Down On Me and 2017's Still Think I'm Nothing, has Chance, as has Chance, who dropped a pair of holiday mixtapes with the 33-year-old performer in 2016 and 2017. Jeremiah is one of several celebrities to have contracted the novel coronavirus this year. Among the survivors are Idris Elba, Sarah Bareilles, Starface, Pink, Daniel Day Kim, Andy Cohen, Babyface, and Tom Hanks, who along with his wife Rita Wilson was one of the first entertainment figures to go public with COVID-19 diagnosis in March. COVID has also taken the lives of a number of stars including Adam Schilsensinger, Patricia Bosworth, Ellis Morales Jr., Terrence McNally, Floyd Cordoza, John Prine, Fred the Godson, and Broadway actor Nick Cordero, who died after a long battle in July. Chance to rapper performing at the Coachella Valley Music Artist Fell in India. <sighs> I'm so glad he's gonna be okay. Seriously, I don't know how I would handle if I woke up and he was dead. He's one of the best singers out there. I love his music. Yes, I think it's much more than physical You see, you got so many great qualities You make me laugh hella smart and super talented Make me wonder what it's like to be a woman Yeah, I know it's kinda odd coming from your friend Often fantasize about us making love How we would feel just laying there in your arms Are you loyal? Can I trust you with my heart? I'm saying all of this looking in the mirror At myself thinking, will I get the courage To look him in his eyes and tell him what I'm feeling But I can't handle Rejection, so I'll keep on wondering what if we took the time to explore this thing. What if we discovered we were meant to? Oh, yeah, let me show you what my life can bring. What if you find out I'm your one day only? Oh, I've been wondering and thinking about what you would do if I gave my heart to you. I got enough for my heart to lay it on the line. I'll do anything for you at the drop of a dime Anytime I look at you, I catch you looking back Got me wondering if we riding the same track In other words, are we on the same train of thought? Hanging on you every word, anytime we talk Cuban with them other dudes, that ain't right for you Got me thinking, what if I'm the type for you? Hold on, I be loving how you ride for yourself Hold on, you be trying to do this shit by yourself Hold on, got my brain filling up with what is Hold on, like what if I leave them for a kid? 
Please, please don't hold it against me. I ain't the bad guy, not the past last guy or the past last guy. <laughs> what if I told you I want you right now? Don't be shy now, what if you were mine now? Oh, what if you took the time to explore this thing? What if we discovered we were meant to? Oh, what if you let me show you what my love can bring? What if you find out I'm your one? Oh, I've been, oh, been wondering and thinking about what you would do if I gave my heart to you, yeah. What if I gave you my heart? What if I don't let you down? What if I told you I need you? Did you see me holding you down? What if my flaws are too much? What if I'm not what you need? Baby, I got all this love for you, so just put your faith in me. What if I gave you my heart? What if I don't let you down? What if I told you I need you? Would you see me holding you down? What if I'm scared to move on? I'm sorry about that. We're still having some technical difficulties, but I'm here to serve. I got all the tea. I got the Hennessy. So get your Hennessy shots ready. Here we go. Black China responds to Wendy Williams saying she doesn't have a home. It's another messy moment for Wendy Williams. The controversial talk show host was on her show discussing the recent accusations made against Tyga, but it was the comment she made about his ex-girlfriend, Black China, that caused a stir. After Wendy said that it was a smart move for Tiger to put a lease in his and China's son's name, King's name to avoid any legal hiccups, she mentioned that China regularly contacts her about her housing issues. I told you Black China texts me regularly, can you help me find a condo? I have no place to live, said Wendy. Her guest host gossip journalist Devin Simone added that China has mentioned in the past that she's not receiving child support from Tyga and her that her payments from Rob Kardashian for their daughter Dream were lowered. Yep, single mother of two. Can I find her a place to live? Wendy added about the woman she's called her little sister. It was like random, like maybe she sent a blast to everybody that she knows because it didn't say dear Wendy. I didn't I didn't answer it. I don't want to be involved. China seemed to have responded to Wendy's claims with a video she shared to her Instagram story that showed her lavish home in Calabasas, California, along with a few of her luxury whips. That don't look homeless to me. Same house from her reality TV show, The Real Black China, her cars. Who the fuck is feeding you information, bitch? Wendy is messy as fuck. Wendy is messy as fuck. Good lord. 
Well, I'm I'm pretty sure that she is going to freaking she is probably going to freaking come back at this like, oh no no no, no it was just a mistake, bitch. Please, you just did that to be dirty. Now let's find out what's going on with Tiger's ass. Kylie Jenner's ex Tiger hits back at allegations he trashed a Beverly Hills home and refused to pay rent as he shows off sparkling clean house on Instagram. Tiger has hit back at allegations he refused to pay rent and trashed a Beverly Hills rental as he showed off a sparkling clean house on Instagram. The rapper's former landlord has sued Tiger for more than $200,000 with claims that the rapper failed to pay rent and damaged the property. However, Tiger took to Instagram to show off several rooms inside a house he alleges is the rental, looking in great condition. The rapper 30 did not specify when the videos were taken. And it is unclear if the rooms he showed were there that the, all the alleged damage occurred. Looks nice to me. Where the damage, Tiger wrote in the video as he did a walkthrough of the room. People gotta stop with the lies, he wrote as he went through the remainder of the home room. Eh, well that's not the first time that he's been accused of trashing. But house needs to be in good fucking condition unless this was a before picture before he trashed the shit hey sometimes people plan their shit out methodically before they do before they do the shit well more news to come with that next on the docket is megan the stallion miss hmm, stallion now she has been on my mind lately like really she is I love how she keeps it real. And we're going to be talking about this recent interview that I got right here from my page. Because it really does deserve to be talked about. And I find it really real. I do. Something that we need to talk about more. This this is from Nicole.com. Megan Thee Stallion says black girls are taught how to be strong way too early. She wants us to keep our truth even if our voice trembles. Real hot girl shit, bitch. Yes, you read that right. Artist and maverick Megan Thee Stallion is no stranger to controversy and she recently sat down with GQ to officially clear the air about her being a victim of an assault with a deadly weapon earlier this year. Leading up to the assault, she was already going through a trying time after losing her mother and manager Holly Thomas and went through one of the most confusing and hurtful times of her life while while the world watched. Her power and will to push forward are not the only characteristics that she inherited from her mother who raised her with the help of Megan's grandmother. Sadly, she also inherited the ability to shove down the pain and feelings of helplessness in order to reach her goals and show up for others at her own expense. Megan explains, like now I'm understanding you got a lot on you. It's a lot of pressure but you're not saying it to nobody. I know it's probably just hard to be a single mama trying to take care of yourself and your daughter. And you're putting on a face. You are acting like everything was okay, so I feel comfortable. I feel like a lot of black girls learned that early. I did. I do that a lot. But that lifelong programming steps stops here. And now for the star, and she wants to bring us along her journey of reprogramming, thus finding our unique voice and using it to take a space in our own lives, hence her popularity. The 
powerhouse can easily fill up stadiums and have the words of her sounds recited a cappella. And to the naysayers, though she dismisses them daily, she also has a compassionate stance on their antics. Sometimes people are really not comfortable enough with themselves, and I don't think they like to watch other people be comfortable with themselves, and I don't think they want anybody to teach other people how to be comfortable with themselves. Uh, boom! Woo! Mm. Megan also wants to make sure that you know this usage of your voice does not stop at work or out yet in the, sh- the streets. You use your voice in the bedroom too. The time is now to not only ask what you can do for a man, but what can you do, but what can he do for you and your pleasure, Megan explains. I feel like a lot of men just get scared when they see women teaching other women to own sex for themselves. Sex is something that it should be good on both ends, but a lot of times it feels like it's something that men use as a weapon or like a threat. I feel like men think they that they own sex. And I feel like it scares them when women own sex. Megan, you are a great hot girl in chief. Woo! <laughs> oh my goodness. Mm. Oh, we diving in now. We diving in now. We we got the full, we got the full article from GQ right here. The year of the stallion. Inside the exuberant and empowering rise of Megan the Stallion, the irrelevant and the magnetic rap sensation, who's here to say? Megan the Stallion has been silent for about 30 seconds, hoping that the tears gathering in her eyes don't give away to a full-on cry. 30 seconds feels longer than 30 seconds. When you're watching a person hold it together, trying to hide a cry face that probably hasn't changed much since childhood. We arrived at this moment earlier than expected, the moment when she addresses the more than well-publicized incident that she describes as the worst experience of her life. The shooting that she endured in July and the weeks that followed. A few hours before Megan and I meet, the man who allegedly shot her tweeted his intent to address the situation in some mysterious way later that night. A few hours after our interview, he would release a whole album seemingly dedicated to defending himself to seizing a narrative to calling Megan a liar. It may seem jarring to lay all this out at the beginning of the story, to start with a sudden cold plunge into a life-fracturing subject. In a year, Megan marked in a year marked by undeniable success of Megan's own making. The viral moments and omnipresent bobs and joyous social media antics. This lone and shitty incident that she didn't create has loomed persistently. Instead of sinking into the muck of a bad situation, Megan has chosen a way forward, not only by continuing to live her hot girl life, but also by transforming the ugliness of of it all into an urgent message about how black women in this country should be treated. She She presses her finger to a spot above her left eyelid as if there's an emergency off button for her to tear ducts hidden somewhere within the socket. She slides lower in her chair, parked on the top of the floor of the penthouse hotel suite she's rented for the week. She's dressed like she's about to attend a particularly luxurious sleepover. Makeup free, she's wearing a cute red Calon bucket hat and dusty pink cashmere leisure wear so form-fitting it may feel like a constant hug. It isn't so much the incident itself that's upsetting to her. 
though to listen to her explain what happened that night in July is tough. In her honeyed alto voice, she definitely tells me how she left a pool party in the Hollywood Hills and jumped into an SUV with the rapper Tony Lanez and two others. She didn't even put clothes on over her bathing suit. The night was over. She was just going home. Megan often tells herself, always trust your first mind. Her way of saying, listen to your gut. That night, her first mind told her to get out of the car and find another way home. She tried exiting the vehicle to call for a different ride, but her phone died. It was late. She was in a bikini and everyone was telling her just to get back in. So she did, even though there was an argument brewing. Megan doesn't want to get into the specifics of the dispute and who started it, but it was but what it was about, but ultimately, it doesn't matter. As has been reported, when she tried to get out of the car again and walk away, according to Megan, Lynette started shooting at her feet, wounding her. She tells the rest with disbelief still in her voice, like I never put my hands on nobody, she says. I barely even said anything to the man who shot me when I was walking away. We were literally like five minutes away from the house. After he shot, she says Lynez begged her not to say anything. She says he offered Megan and her friend money to stay quiet. At this point, I'm really scared, Megan says. Because this is like right in the middle of all the protesting. Police are just killing everybody for no reason. And I'm thinking, I can't believe you even think I want to take some money. Like you just shot me. A lawyer for Lynez denied that the rapper offered Megan and her friend money. When the cop arrives, Megan says she just wanted to avoid trouble. She worried they'd get arrested or end up victims of police brutality if they were found with a weapon. The first thing she said to the responding officers who noticed her bloody feet was, I got cut. Later in October, Lynez would be charged with felony assault. But in the immediate aftermath, as details and questions dripped into the news and onto social media and the incident became the kind of he said, she said that Twitter loves to litigate. Megan confirmed that she had been shot. People accused her of lying. Eventually, in August, she went on Instagram to name Lynez of her assailant. He denied it, creating a controversy that spawned insults, jokes, and memes made at Megan's expense. Stories were leaked to the press, including screenshots of Lynez's text apology. Members of Lynez's team fabricated emails to undermine Megan's account. Somehow, before the Los Angeles County District Attorney had been weighed in, the case had been tried on social media, and improperly, Megan had become, to some people, more of a villain than a victim. To her, the comments of critics seemed more louder than the ones from her supporters. <sighs> That's true. The hate that she was getting on social media, it was unreal. To defend herself, she felt compelled to reveal more than she wanted to. She posted a now-deleted photo of her feet with stitches post-surgery as proof that she had actually been injured. Finally, she tweeted, Black women are so unprotected and we hold so many things in to protect the feelings of others with considering, without considering our own. It might be funny to y'all on the internet and just another messy topic for you to talk about, but this is my real life and I'm real life hurt and traumatized. Megan had discussed it all, the shooting itself, the social media shitstorm with relative calm, but it's recalling her decision to tweet this, that this, that, 
this that kicks up all the emotions she's struggling now to hold back. The simple feeling that she was out there alone fighting for herself and almost nobody took her pain seriously. As well as the realization that the same is endlessly true for the black women, including the one who raised her. She clears her throat. When I was growing up, my mom didn't have any help with me. Megan says, everybody was doing everything that they could do, they do to help. But it was only so much that my grandmother could do. And it was like, there'll be times that I'm in an apartment with my mom and I know something's wrong, but I know, don't know what it is. She pauses and tugs at her on her hat. Megan's mother, Holly Thomas, died from a brain tumor in March 2019. They were incredibly close. When she was growing up in Houston, Megan says her family wasn't rich, but it was her mom who made her feel not just that she had everything she needed, but that she wasn't missing out on what she wanted either. Megan clears her throat again and begins to speak, this time like she's addressing her mother directly. Like now, I'm understanding you got a lot on you. It's a lot of pressure, but you're not saying it to nobody. I know it's probably just hard to be a single mama trying to take care of yourself and your daughter and you're putting on a face. You are acting like everything was okay so I feel comfortable. Megan pauses and brings it back to what she's experiencing right now. I feel like a lot of black girls learned that early. I did. I do that a lot. Throughout the strange weeks that followed the shooting, what surprised Megan most was that even though she had been a victim, she felt an expectation to project strength like damn she says I have to be tough through all this all the time it was like who really checks on us or protected us you just go your whole life with that mentality and then when something actually happens to you when you probably when you properly should have protected yourself your first instinct was not to protect yourself it was protecting other people so it was like, what do I do? What do I say? Like, is anybody going to believe what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Megan falls silent, giving herself another moment. She starts again carefully. It was weird, she says. I saw something that said, check on your strong friends. And like a lot of people, they don't do that because they think, oh, this person is just so strong. So I know they got their stuff together. I feel like I have to be strong for everybody and I don't want my friends or anybody around me to feel like it's a pressure on me because I feel like they all start freaking out. She says she reached out to her friends and asked, why didn't you call me? And it helped. Now they're calling me like every five minutes, she says, with a laugh and a faux, this and a faux petulant eye roll that lifts us out of the dark moment into a lighter one. Any reluctance Megan might have felt to cover the heavy stuff so quickly in our conversation was surpassed by a need to confront it, to say her piece, and to move on to fully experiencing everything happening in her life. She was in the middle of an almost absurdly wild week, a week during which practically a career's worth of achievement was condensed into a six-day run. She was on the cover of Time, picked as one of the, of the world's 100 most influential people. She had a new single and music video about to drop. She was preparing for her solo Saturday Night Live performance in a few days. It was the kind of week that confirms that Megan is at a Pacific 
rarefied point in a young artist's rise that moment of rapidly growing fame when the big changes to life are sudden and noticeable there is more excuse me there is more attention there are more opportunities more followers more freebies fewer friends though she notes all at once the icons you'd rap about in unreleased songs are now collaborators the people who support you and reach out by phone yes beyonce and jay-z call her and give her advice she's co-com megan says of beyonce she would just be like megan live your life then jay-z will call me and be like hey listen you know you're supposed to be turning up right now you really need to be somewhere driving a boat live your life just just fuck that since 2019, with the release of her mixtape Fever, when she established herself as a hot as hot girl Meg, and aspirationally fun, powerful, sexy artist who rapped about the importance of being fun, powerful, and sexy, Megan has made it her mission to inspire a legion of fans called the Hotties to be a flagrantly confident as she is. Her music is juicy, self-help, wrapped in wit, and biled by prenaturally dazzling rap skills. And all of it is paired with a personality that seems this that somehow feels simultaneously genuine, like a belt for Instagram exercise. Size and branding. She's a cultural powerhouse. Sorry, y'all, I need a minute because now i'm gonna get emotional she's a cultural powerhouse perfectly pitched for the moment even a pandemic couldn't stop her if anything it was an accelerant in march she released the song savage which got an immediate boost when 19 year old kiera wilson created the savage dance challenge which was taken up by a captive audience stuck inside during the early days of the lockdown savage became a monster hit on tiktok basically ensuring that the time megan dropped the remix with beyonce it was destined to be the biggest track of 2020 this of course was before megan and cardi b released wop a pussy exalting anthem that now has a historic place in the in in the nails of timeless fuck tracks wop hit wop hit number one on the charts without breaking a sweat but it also set off a surprisingly loud freakout amongst pearl-clutching spirit of tipper gore runs through the me controversies. The acronym made the nightly news program my 66-year-old father watches, which led me to receive and ignore an earnest text asking that WAP stood for. Megan last recalling those reactions. I saw somebody, some Republican lady, you know how they be some goddamn republican lady like this is a terrible example she says slipping into republican lady voice megan is referring to former congressional diana lorraine who tweeted america needs far more women like melania trump and far less cardi b excuse me and i was like girl you literally had to go to youtube or to your apple music to go listen to this song in its entirety how are you in your republican world and even finding your way over here to talk about this you must not have no wop if you're mad at this song <laughs> obviously. <laughs> obviously and for you to say more like melania trump uh Bitch! <laughs> Don't go on 
it doesn't bother or surprise her much though sometimes people are not comfortable enough with themselves and I don't think they like to watch other people be comfortable with themselves and I don't think they want to teach other people how to be comfortable with themselves she says both thoughtfully and dismissively the WAP discourse demonstrates that the way that nearly everything Megan does promotes discussion and debate she can probably describe the appeal of a well-lubricated vagina and then bam she's caught up in a dialogue about the fear of black women's sexuality she can go about her business wearing a dress or shorts or something that shows off her inevitably muscular thighs and it's a flashpoint in a conversation about what's appropriate for someone with her body like hers frankly anything she can quietly try to heal from being shot then find herself tugged in a national reckoning with racial injustice and the mistreatment of black women she spent the past six months writing out a storm of things within her control and completely out of it. After the chaos of the summer, Megan barely took a break. I was like, I have to take control of this. She says she had to remind herself, I'm still Megan the Stallion. And as soon as she could, she returned to what made her Meg. She performed, she recorded, she Instagrammed her hot girl activities with her friends. She made big statements and she reminded herself and her fans and dictators that she could handle the topsy-turvy moments not because of who she become but because of who she's been all along i feel like the men think they own sex and i feel like it scares them when women own sex megan is in new york for her snl performance station with her team on the top two penthouse floors of her favorite hotel on the lower east side her terrace overlooks a bar with a pool where i know there's a hot lifeguard oh the one with the dread she says comparing those you know i be checking she loves new york it's always popping it's popping <laughs> she exclaims which is kind of her way to say because new york isn't popping in quite the way it usually is when i was coming up nobody really knew me anywhere except for houston or new york she says slipping into a memory of the first time she performed here in a little basement club everybody knew all the words word for word in here it was so packed in there like people were on stage with me and the dj and someone stepped on the court and ripped it out of the wall she remembers the sound dropped out but everyone rapped with her so it was me and all the hotties driving the boat and rapping to each other just the cabela it was crazy she revisits the night it happened decades ago but megan is only 25 it's easy to forget when you watch her perform or listen to her rep or her or ask her question about the state of say an environment or for advice on whether or not you should text that fuck boy who's driving you insane do not her rise has been the embodiment of fast and furious a blitz to the top that just began in 2016 when megan jovan ruth pete was still a college student attending texas southern university to study health administration a degree she's still determined to complete fellow students and her followers on instagram knew her as megan the stallion a moniker derived from right from the com- right from the compliments she used to get from men about her five foot ten stature but nobody else really did until she took a part in a cypher with a group of local houston rappers her mom gave her wardrobe advice and a ride video of the performance shows that megan arrived basically as the fully formed 
performer we see now, direct, cool, and confident, and already in a position, already in possession of what signature tongue out stallion yow. Everybody's mouth was wide, like she remembers of the audience, and I was like, "Why are y'all still surprised?" Her mom stayed to watch, even though Megan warned that she was going to curse. But Thomas knew what to expect, so she had her own rap career and was known around Houston as Hollywood. She raised Megan on UGK and 3-6 Mafia, bringing her daughter up largely by herself in the Houston suburbs. Megan's father spent the first eight years of her life in prison and died when she was 15. Megan calls him her best friend, but her mom was always something more. She was the first person Megan ever rapped for when she was seven years old. Megan had a Barbie doll toy that played pre-recorded instrumentals and beats she recalls i don't know who at mattel thought of that she says but it was fire when she was 18 megan told her mom she wanted to rap thomas said fine but she had two cabots megan had to wait until she was 21 and she had to get a college degree until her death thomas was megan's manager she taught megan studio etiquette to show up on schedule to make the most of her book time she told megan to rap in her own voice I used to rap in a voice that was not my talking voice, Megan explains. I would probably sound like monotone. And she was like, why are you rapping like that? I'm like, what? I sounded. So she's like, rap like you're talking to me. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. And you know, you hate when your mama tell you something. The earliest moments of Megan's career were mostly. Oh, sorry about that. Sorry guys, I lost my I lost my footing here. Hang on. Hang on, y'all. Alright. Just gotta find the spot that we were this when we Oh my gosh, where is that? Okay, here we go. The earliest moments of Mega's career were mostly Trump free because of her mom. I always just said, I'm going to call my mama. She'll know what to do. She says with a sigh. Now, I can't just call my mama. I'm always thinking, okay, what will she do? And sometimes, I don't know sometimes, I do be bumping my head. I'm only in my 20s, but she's there. It was more than just business advice and etiquette, though. So much of what Megan raps about and how she raps about it and who she is as a woman is inherited from her mother and grandmother, she explains. One of her grandmothers, whom she called Big Mama, taught her about the importance of self-reliance. Her grandmother taught her how to always be sweet, and her mother says she's taught her how to be tough. Confidence was instilled early and reinforced by all three women who were constantly in Megan's ear with affirmations. They were always like, Megan, you're great, 100%, she says. They would always make me feel really, really good. They would always be like, and you don't need no boy or nobody coming up to trying to give you, trying to tell you. Give me this and I'll give you that. Mm-hmm. Woo! Sorry, guys. I got stuck again. But we good. And I'd be like, imitate her voice at seven years old. Yeah, I don't need no boys at all. She often attributes lyrical and sonic inspirations to Southern male artists like Juicy J and Pimp C. Her mom would play 3-6 Mafia and Megan would study the themes. Money, sex, power, high quality liquor. She heard, she heard men rap about 
as she says what they're going to do to a girl or how confident he is or how tough he is and the mat- matrional influence reminded her that she could do it too and better she thought damn this would really be something good if a girl was saying this with megan it's never just a word she has a way of delivering filthy lyrics that can absolutely knock you flat it's the way she curls her lips while she says a line or raises her eyebrows right before she drops down in a squat as a performer she doesn't ask for permission or forgiveness or even confirmation i know this is about me she says this is my pleasure this is my vagina i know this vagina bomb sometimes you just got to remind people that you're magical and everything about you down to your vagina and to your toes is magical oh shit okay in the grand tradition of Trina, Lil' Kim, Missy Elliott, Jill Scott, and other female artists who wrote lyrics that simply drip with horn, Megan's message and the way she shares it isn't for men. I feel like a lot of men just get scared when they see women teaching other women to own sex for themselves, she says. Sex is something that should be good on both ends, but a lot of times it feels like it's something that men use as a weapon or like a threat. I feel like men think they own sex and it feels like it scares them when women own sex. Jacqueline Knight, Megan's friend and choreographer, bounced into the kitchen of Brooklyn Studio to find Megan hanging out and dabbing her forehead with a paper towel taking a break from rehearsing. She had just ran through the songs she'll be performing on SNL, Savage, and a new one, Don't Stop, a truly raunchy gift she was about to release with Young Thug. Knight, who worked with Beyonce on the formation choreography and similar statement making them moments in music video history, has adopted a sweet and sour approach to getting Megan back to work, gently reminding that she performed each song twice more. Megan countered with an unsuccessful offer to do the songs once more, then gave a good-natured groan before taking her place among four backup dancers. She rolled up her SNL t-shirt to reveal her belly ring and readied herself to rip into Savage again. For as often as she performed the song, this rehearsal was different. Megan had decided to use her SNL appearance to make a statement about the shooting of Breonna Taylor and the failure of Daniel Cameron, the Attorney General of Kentucky, to hold officers accountable for killing. Two days later, when she took the stage on Saturday night, she wore a black and white bodysuit and matching boots and cape looking like a major red on an acid trip. During Savage, as she stalked the stage and executed her famously high precision twerking, the backdrop twisted and turned and rearranged itself to reveal the names of several women, all victims of police brutality, as well as protect black women. Midway through, the sound of eight gunshots interrupted the music and Megan stared into the audience to deliver a short speech. We need to protect our black women and love our black women because the end of the day, we need our black women, she said. We need to protect our black men and stand up for our black men because at the end of the day, we're tired of seeing hashtags about black men. The very next evening, as the SNL clips were still bouncing around social media, Megan was back in LA, Zooming with me while getting ready to go meet a friend for a socially distant hang. I asked her how she felt about the whole performance. I'm proud of myself, she said, while impressively pulling a paddle brush through her 40-inch weave, then hitting it with a curling iron for bounce. As wide as she hoped her message was there, 
was also a part of the poems that was for Megan herself. She wanted to have the last word on her own tricky and difficult situation. The shooting had turned her into a meme, a point to be made in a debate. It had forced her into a narrative. Somehow her personhood had gotten, had, had gotten lost. If people were going to make meaning out of her, she was going to dictate what it, that meaning would be. I had asked her at one point what she wanted for the women who listened to her music, what she hoped she was inspiring women to do. I want black women to be louder, she said. I want us to be sassier. I want us to demand more. Be more outspoken. Keep speaking. And just keep demanding what you deserve. Don't change. Just get better. Grow from these situations. Don't be beating yourself up about these situations because they'd be a lot of problems too. I feel we keep this stuff in and there's some kind of way to flip it on ourselves. We didn't fuck up. We didn't do something wrong. It's like, no girl, relax. You needed somebody to come stir the Kool-Aid. This is another great Megan the Stallionism that I hope inspires a song or even a whole Kool-Aid ex-hot girl summer at some point. Here's how she explains it. Even if it's me or if it's me having a conversation with somebody, I'm going to make you feel like you are that bitch because you are already that bitch. You somehow just need it stirred up for you. It's like when you put the Kool-Aid in the water and all it all falls to the bottom. But when you mix it up with the sugar, now it's Kool-Aid. You just need somebody to stir it up for you, and that's me. First and foremost, gotta give respect where respect is due. Megan is a boss bitch. She is a boss bitch. She's amazing. I'm gonna root for her. She is my... Hashtag WCW all day of this week. And I enjoyed her story. I enjoyed hearing about her life story and how she got her way into the rap world, her mother, and she's just an all-around great person. I really love her. I love her to death. You rock, Miss Stallion. Hey, thank you for speaking your truth and not being afraid to talk about sex. You know what? We gotta on the Chronicles of Chief, we need to have a discussion about sex on here at some point. Cause honey, I'm sick and tired of men thinking that we cannot enjoy sex because it's not natural. Uh it's 2020. We're allowed to enjoy sex just as much as y'all. Alright? As for Black China, I think you need to watch your back with Miss Wendy, honey. Cause she's saying, Oh, you broke. When really you got the photos to prove that you're not. So skirt, skirt on that bitch. And for the King Vaughn situation, rest in peace, brother. You are really amazing. And shout out to Jeremiah. T.I., get your shit together. And I'm going to see y'all in the next episode on the Chronicles of Sheep. Happy Thanksgiving, y'all. Peace.